We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. After 25 years of teaching, Jay Thorne wanted more. He wanted more challenge and more money. So he did what he warns people exactly not to do, quit his job with only a month's salary to survive. At first, he thought he'd devote himself full-time to writing, but he found he couldn't spend all day doing the same thing. So he channeled his expertise and energy into a different kind of teaching through podcasts and other venues to help writers. He's co-authored two series of science fiction books, Dustfall and Final Awakening, as well as several books on writing, including The Three-Story Method and Nine Things Career Authors Don't Do. I actually met Jay through a StoryGrid seminar a couple of years ago, and I really like the way he approaches writing. In this episode, Jay shares his struggles with wanting to act quickly on his ideas before testing them out, and how getting feedback from new followers helps him to determine how to build his next new service. He's found teaching has also been an invaluable way to connect with and grow his audience. He also stresses how important diversification is not only for his own work, but also for his bank account. He also shares his key to productivity, something he calls time blocking. Now, let's get better together. Jay Thorne, welcome to the podcast. Jari, how you doing, man? I'm, you know, I'm 
doing okay. I'm a little bit uh, cabin fever, <laughs> so I'm sure a lot of people are. We're still under the COVID stuff, although things are loosening up a little bit. Um, but I'm really excited to talk with you because we originally met through the Story Grid stuff way back in 2017, I think it was. Feels like a long time ago, doesn't it? It feels like an eternity, an eternity. Um, and the 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 great thing about what you're doing and, and, and I mean, well, there's so many great things about what you're doing and, and we'll get to a lot of that with your books and your, what you're doing with the ton of publishing and all that sort of stuff. So, um, but before we get there, um, what do you, uh, I mean, how, how have you kind of gotten to where you are? Like, <laughs> cause it's a pretty, I mean, I don't know. I, I like to say it's eclectic. Um, but you know, how did, how, how did you, come to do what you're doing man i i have no idea <laughs> <laughs> maybe i should write a book about it maybe you uh, should among yeah. all the other books you write yeah yeah no I, um no in all seriousness i i don't really know uh i kind of fell into entrepreneurship um i guess what i mean by my answer is that i didn't go to school to get a business degree i wasn't in the corporate world uh i i sort of grew into being an entrepreneur. And, uh, and as I look back now, I can kind of see the seeds that were there all along and I can see the different pathways I took, but I didn't have a master plan. Uh, in fact, I had a master plan that was quite different. I was going to you know, retire as a classroom teacher and draw on a pension and live in the same house I raised my family in until I died. And, uh, and all of that's changed now uh, <laughs> for the better, for the better. Um, but yeah, I, I think I got to a certain point where uh, I realized that no matter how hard I worked in, in say the corporate or the salaried world, whatever that whatever that means to to a listener, but no matter how hard you work there, there's a ceiling, there's a cap, um, and I think I became a little frustrated when I would look around and I would see uh, my peers or my colleagues kind of coasting, and and some of them were making way more money than I was. Some of them were making the same amount of money. And whether they coasted or busted their butts, they got the same amount of money. Yeah. And I think I got to a point where I was like, you know, I, I, I'm a pretty ambitious guy. I, I pride myself on a blue collar work ethic growing up in Pittsburgh and kind of that, that lunch pail mentality. And I'm like, this isn't, this isn't serving me. I, and, and I can't, like, I'm not the type of person who can kind of do it halfway. You know, like I can't, I couldn't go into a job and coast. It's just not how I'm wired. Yeah, no, there's a lot of people who uh, find that out as well, um, especially those with the entrepreneur spirit. They kind of look around and they're kind of like, I'm just going to punch the clock and like do like the minimum, you know? And I think we were talking a little bit before. It's like, do you want to make someone else successful and rich or do you want to make yourself successful and rich? <laughs> and, and rich and successful are things for different people, right? I mean, for some people, sure. it doesn't... You know, the money may not be what it's all about, but it's the freedom. I mean, for me, it's freedom. Mm. I mean, yeah. I, <laughs> I'm with you. I'm unemployable. I'm unmanageable. I just <laughs> I have to work for myself or someone. I mean, I'd get fired left and right. Um, yeah. I, I mean, again, I joke about that, but it, it, you know, there's a grain of truth to it. So, so how, mm -hmm. I mean, so what are you working on right now? I know you, you write books, you publish books, you got a bunch of podcasts. I think you've got more podcasts than anyone I know. Um, how how is how's all that going? How how, how did you kind of find finally find your your passion or your uh, 
what you wanted to do? Yeah, I think I had to, I had to readjust what I thought I wanted <laughs> uh, because what I thought I wanted was not what I wanted. Um, when I was, a, I, I was a classroom teacher for almost 25 years and I taught everything from kindergartners in a reading circle to post-grad students uh, learning, you know, getting their uh, advanced degree and everything in between at all levels. And I hit a certain point where I was just kind of burnt out on it. Like I really enjoyed it. I was good at it. Uh, I, I was at the, the highest end of, of my pay scale. I was getting the, the, the best, like I had a dream job as far as a teacher goes, but I, had, I, needed, I needed to do something else. And, uh, and so what I thought was, um, you know, I took StoryGrid training with you in 2017, and that was my first big investment in sort of this new phase of my life. And uh, I did something I tell people is a terrible thing. I, I quit my, my day job with no savings, uh, no plan B, with a wife and two kids, two kids in private school, mortgage, two car payments. And, uh, and I had about a month. I had about a month salary coming to me, um, which is ter- uh, terrible advice. Don't ever do that. But I, I did it. And, and when I, at that moment, I thought, okay, I want to sit in my office and I want to write fiction all day long, every day. That's all I want to do. I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to deal with anybody. And that's what I thought I wanted. And it turns out that's not what I wanted. <laughs> As it turns out, um, and this is pretty sad to f- find this out in your mid to late 40s, but a- as it turns out, what I really enjoy is uh, diversification of my time and freedom. I don't like to do the same thing all day long, even if it's like eating lobster or writing books, like, <laughs> like two things I love, you know, but I don't want to do that all day, every day. And, and for some people do. So, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but no, for no, me, I came to the realization that that's not, that's not how I'm wired and I need, I need some changes. And for a long time, I fought this idea of being a teacher. I had people telling me my whole life and, and, I, you know, I, I'm just being honest. I'm not trying to be egotistical, but I've had people tell me my whole life, I'm a, I'm a great teacher. I know how to deliver content succinctly, how to boil at things down to their essence. And after I left the classroom, I was like, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> I am never teaching again. I want no part of it. And my business partner, Zach Bohannon, was finally the guy who got me to do the Career Author Podcast said, listen, man, you can still teach, but you can do it on your own terms and yeah. you can do it with who you want in the way you want it. Totally. And, and that sort of realization, I was like, right, I can. So, so now fast forward uh, three, four years later, and yeah, I'm still writing fiction and I'm, I'm still putting out books, but I do client work and I do author mastermind groups and I do podcasts. And, and those are all variations of teaching. And they also give me a nice change in my day. So I'm not always doing the same thing all the time. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, well, a lot of traditional entrepreneurs and I guess... I don't know if there's ever really a traditional entrepreneur. If you're a, okay, let me back. If you're an adventure back startup, <laughs> you will, <laughs> you definitely want to focus, right? And focus on one thing and try to do that as well as you can. But I think with, with what you're doing in sort of the author track, I've seen that, I mean, it's cause it's interesting. Cause like a book, depending on, on what kind of book it is, takes, I don't know, a year, or two to come out roughly, maybe, I don't know, like the one I'm working on now, it's been almost been three years. So it's like, you know, not, not getting out very quickly. Um, Seems like you do have to have some sort of diversification of not only revenue streams, but, uh, but, but of interest. I mean, that's what, when I talked with Joanna Penn about what she did, because she's, 
same thing, kind of entrepreneur. She used to go to all these conferences, right? Yeah, now no more conferences. <laughs> it's like, oh, done. <laughs> so she, clearly her diversified uh, revenue stream uh, definitely paid off. So ha- have you found that, that that diversification allows you to sort of, I mean, take take the hit with something doesn't kind of go right? I mean, I, I guess I don't, I, I guess like some, how do you like pick what you do? I guess would be the yeah. word, you know? Not well. Not honestly. well, okay. I, okay. I'm still learning how to do that. Okay. Uh, Joanna is a, a great friend of mine. And for years, she has hammered home to me, diversify, diversify, multiple revenue streams. And, and I, I sent her a, a snapshot of uh, my, my uh, P&L spreadsheet a while back. And it, and it was, it was like to call them like AK or something. And I was like, Here's all my revenue streams. Now, some of them are like $2 a month, yeah, you know, yeah, and some yeah, are $20 yeah. a month. But like yeah. that, you take all those little streams and it does protect you against, you know, the bottom falling out of something. I think where I still struggle, and I know this, I'm almost ashamed to say this because I taught entrepreneurship to high school kids uh, for, for four years. I've been, an, I am an entrepreneur. I know, intellectually, I know this and I still make this mistake. I build it first before I, I determined demand. And I, I, I mean, I just, did, I just made that mistake literally in the past six months. And, and so that's why I say I'm not very good at that. What, what I'm trying to do now is I get these, I get these wild hair ideas. I, 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 I have a GoDaddy problem. Right? <laughs> I, I get the idea. <laughs> I get the idea. And the next thing I know, I own, I own the domain name. Exactly. And, and, then, by, and then it's not... It, a week later, I've got a logo guy. I mean, that's how bad it is. Yeah, I have yeah. a guy yeah, who yeah. just does logos and I go, hey, Johnny, guess what I need? <laughs> yeah. So I'll have a domain name and a logo before I've even asked anyone if this is something they, they would want. So I'm trying to get really better at it. And I think one of the things that I'm doing literally as we're speaking is I have an idea. I have a small group of people who I know would be the ideal customer, the, the perfect archetype. And what I'm going to send them is a PayPal link. And I'm going to say, hey, I'll do this for you. Here's the PayPal link and see what happens. Yeah. Because I've asked people via email. And you know, as an entrepreneur, you, you can't ask wood questions because people will always say yes. Like, you know, would you work out four times a week if there was a gym within five miles of your house? Oh, I sure would. <laughs> yeah, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> you know? no, no, you wouldn't. So, um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm in the place now where I'm, I'm trying to, to pump the brakes not ask the wood questions. Instead, ask people to open their wallet. And, and now I can... So now like I've got, uh, I've got 100 people I, I want to ask this question to. And I can say to myself, okay, before you buy that domain name, you need 15 of those people to open their wallets. And if they do, then you know you have something. And if they don't, or you get two or three, scrap it. Yeah, that's actually a really good uh, way to think about it. Um, a lot of entrepreneurs have the same problems, especially when it comes to building software, building anything, because it takes yes. time. Because like, as an example, in order to put something in front of someone to be like, hey, would you use this? You do have to build something. Um, and it, it takes time and effort and cash. And thankfully, a lot of the, the no-code movement right now, especially for, for software companies, is helping with that. Yeah, uh, and of course, there's Kickstarter and Indiegogo and all that sort of thing, right? Um, but I'm I'm fascinated that so 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 you sort of have this like core 
group of a hundred people that you know, or were they, are they past customers or they, yeah, they, they were, yes. So they, they were, um, they're, they're even better than a past customer. So they, they are people who, uh, joined a challenge that I hosted and then they had to do, they had to do something to quote unquote, win the challenge, even though it, it was completely on them. Like if they didn't do it, nobody would care. And they did it. So, th- so that's how I know, like these, these people are serious. Like these people are motivated. They're interested in improving as opposed to like my just, my just general list, which could be thousands of people who might have some interest in writing or publishing or, um, or being an author, but, but they didn't have that specific need. So I know these one, this small segment of that bigger list is someone who I know, like if I could create the perfect person for this, this service that I want to do, it would be these people. So if these people say not interested, then I know there's nothing there. Hmm. So would you call them your fans or your super fans or, I mean, how, how would you kind of, no, how do you segment it, it, them? So that's an interesting, that's an interesting comment, right? Because we're so familiar with Kevin Kelly's thousand true fans and, mm-hmm. and even more so uh, Seth Godin has really brought it down to talking about 10 people, right? Like he's almost, he's not contradicting Kevin Kelly, but he's saying, if you take an idea to 10 people and they don't tell 10 other people, there's nothing there. Right. And so I'm, I'm almost, I almost don't want to go to, to the, the quote unquote true fans because they'll buy anything I do. And, and there's not a ton of them, but that doesn't tell me whether the idea will scale because these are people who are fans of what I do. And it's, it's like on Patreon, I have Patreon supporters who have never touched the bonuses and, and they have told me, Hey, we just love what you're doing. Want to help you out. Want to support you. So those those tr- those thousand true fans are kind of in that bucket, and I, I don't think that they're an accurate representation of the idea at large. Hmm. Now, um, you you can certainly uh, you can certainly build something just for those people, and if they're true fans, um, they're going to give you feedback, and you can make it even better. So, th- I'm not saying there's not a place for them, but for that sort of crazy idea that, y- that you want to scale beyond your own circles of influence, I think I think you need. I think you need more biased opinions. And so the, these people that I'm talking about are fairly new to me. They, they don't know much about me other than the, the little uh, contest I, I did for them. Huh. So familiar, but not a fan. Yes. Yes. I mean, I, you need enough of... Uh, hmm. so, so in the five-day challenge, what I did is I created a, a video where I taught a particular lesson every day for, for five days. And so, and I was, I did live Facebooks and I was commenting in, in a private Facebook group. So I think for those, if those people came to me and didn't know anything about me, they now have enough. They've seen my face. They've heard my voice. They see how I operate. They understand my style. So I think I've got, they're not like a cold lead, but they're not a true fan. And I think like for specifically for launching new ideas, I think that's the, that's the ideal. At least I hope it is, you know, I'm going to test it out and see. Well, well, I mean, I actually really think that's a, pretty brilliant idea. Um, Partly because, so this is the thing every entrepreneur has this problem, right? So I have an idea. Is it a good idea or a bad idea? Who knows, right? Mom likes it. Dad likes it. All your friends and family like it. You know, the 10 folks that you know, well, that'll buy from you or your true fans, your thousand true fans or whatever. Um, But when it comes to something new, I guess I guess that thousand true fan thing would be if you're going to build like write another book or do with something you've always done. Pretty good chances are they'll buy it. Okay, then I think you've got enough validation. But when it comes to new ideas, 
that's the hardest thing I think to do is find that familiar but skeptical group. Yes. And I mean, you know, we, if, you, if you're a Steve Jobs kind of fan of him, he, he didn't like focus groups because he's like, they don't know what they want. Well, he was in a different category, right? I mean, like yeah. <laughs> the, they, they wanted Apple stuff. It didn't matter what Apple stuff, right? He would pretty much build anything. And most of the time, if it adhere to the Apple principles, people would buy it, right? It's not, that's a, you're in a, it's like a different league. He's like at a orders of magnitude above that. Sure. Because he, and he's got, he had, like you said, brand recognition makes a big difference. Yeah. He had brand recognition. But I do like the idea of this sort of familiar, huh? That's interesting. That's interesting because, if you could find that group of people, it, my guess is it would have to rotate, right? Every because yes. if they bought from you once, they sort of wouldn't be. They'd be like now they're a customer, and of course, right. we all know that people will buy from you multiple times. If you know if if they like you, they'll pretty much buy whatever. Not 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 all cases, but they're more. They have more of a propensity to buy from you if they bought from you before. But yeah, I guess going out on a different trajectory, having that group, huh? And so the other cool thing about this, they had to do something. So, so what was this challenge that they had to do? Oh, yeah. So let me tell you a little bit about it. It was called um, Supercharge Your Scene. And the idea was it was a five-day challenge. And the goal was in five days, I was going to teach people how to write a single scene or short story, 2,000 words or less. And I was going to use basic story principles to show you how you can think about it, prep for it, write it, revise it. Because I found in doing client work, so many people, uh, they suffer when it comes to scenes. They don't know what a scene is. They don't know the components of a scene. Um, and I, this is something I've identified it as, a, as a crucial need for many authors. So I decided I'm going to do this, this five-day challenge. And so what they had to do is they had to give me an email address. And then every day um, for five days, I would send them an email, which was a link to a, a private video lesson. So um, now the videos were recorded, but I recorded them that day. So it wasn't like some canned course that I had from years ago. Right. Um, I, would, I would answer questions from the Facebook group in the daily video so that I was keeping it really fresh. And what they were going to have to do is at the end of those five days with all the materials and all the education they got, they were going to get seven more days to submit the scene. Oh wow! Now I had, I had thousands of people do the challenge, and I told them I, I can't look at your scenes. <laughs> like I just, I, you know, I can't. Yeah. It's not possible. But I, but I had a way of tracking them. So I had a little form, and I said, if you submit your scene as complete, how you know, do your best. Uh, I'm not checking it. But yeah. if you if you submit a completed scene, you would go into the quote unquote winners bucket, and then I was drawing random prizes for the people who quote unquote won. Right. And so those people who not only finished the challenge, but then submitted something, those are the people I'm talking about right now. And so out of the thousand people that did the challenge, it's about a hundred that like submitted. Yeah, there, there were, the, the, there was about 1,800 people who did the challenge and there was about 150 people who uh, submitted wow. the scene. So about a little over 10, per, well, about 10% success rate. Huh. Yeah. That's similar to NaNoWriMo. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> NaNoWriMo is like 500,000 people do it, but only really 50,000 people right, finish right. it, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Oh, that's a good, that's actually a really good heuristic to, to know. Huh. Yeah. 
Yeah. And like I said, uh, it, it doesn't mean those other, you know, 1600 people wouldn't, wouldn't be prime, but like, I know that those 150 some people, like those are the people I, I like, I, what I was thinking is like, okay, well, what could I, what service could I offer those people knowing that they've now written something yeah. and it's just sitting there. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, that, that could be a model. And, and I see, I see that a lot and I love the model. I love the, the challenge model. Um, yes. There were a lot of them for like, you know, 30 day diet or workout challenges. Yeah. A lot of uh, five day challenges because people get a lot of value out of that. I mean, of course, you know, you're an entrepreneur and I, I was really clear in my, in my email copy and I said, Hey, I'm going to sell you, I'm going to try selling you something after this. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I can't live for, on doing free work uh, just so you understand everyone, everyone knows, you know? Yeah. 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 But, yeah. but I don't hold back either like that that five day challenge, they get all of me. I give them my best. And and you could walk away from that five day challenge and you could have a, a whole new skill set that you could then use the rest of your life. So it's not a, I'm not watering it down. It's not like a, a webinar with the sales pitch at the end. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it takes a lot of work. Uh, but I think it's, it's, and it's also a great way, like from, from my side, it's a great way for me to introduce myself to people who didn't know anything about me before. Wow. So it was a, a- clearly a free five-day challenge. Yep. And how, how did you get, how did you promote it? You just send it out to your list or like how did? Yeah, it, w- it was mostly my list. I had some affiliates lined up and far uh, fewer of them sent that out than I was expecting, which is a little disappointing. But from what I hear from some of my mentors, uh, affiliate flake out is a real thing. It is. And, it, yeah. and it's getting worse. It is. Yeah. So, um, getting way worse. Yeah. Yeah. So I know now, like, I, I'm just not going to count on it. But um, I, I would say a good 75 to 80% of people who took the challenge were either on my list, listening to my podcast, or had read one of my books. Uh, I ran some Facebook ads. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I probably signed up less than 100 people via Facebook ads. So yeah. it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a big thing, but it, it was mostly from the audience I already had. Huh. And how, how, how often do you think you're going to be doing stuff like this? Because, uh, I mean, I'm just fascinated by this because <laughs> if you want to, if, if you if, if you have a service type offering service with some education, and I don't know how well this would work with a product, like like a physical thing. I mean, who knows? It may, it may, I don't know. Um, but this seems like a great market, you know, product market fit kind of approach um yeah it's relatively new um and you know things come in and out of fashion Mm. and usually i don't i don't pay any attention to that because by the time i have it figured out everyone's doing it and then and people get sick of it which is i think what's happening with affiliate marketing right now um yeah but i think what's different with the challenge is that it takes a lot of work and you have to be a teacher and and that's there aren't a lot of people who can do that. There there are really great experts, but that doesn't make you a good teacher. That's and true. and quite frankly, a lot of people would rather send the email and and try and make the sale than to than to perform or to do something for people to get the sale. So I think long term the challenges are going to be very effective just because it's not an easy type of it's not like a hack on Amazon ads where like as soon as someone figures it out, everyone's doing it. Like everyone could do a challenge. Most people won't because it's a ton of work and it's hard and and they won't. Um, So I think for me, I could probably do two or or three a year, depending on what I do and how I do them. Um, And I'm starting to think that that might not be a bad approach. Um, And and to your, to your point about the service versus the product, I think if you're creative enough, you could, you could 
uh, build it into a product. So like, let's say you had a, um, a weight belt or, you know, something, uh, a particular shoe, you could, you could build a challenge around your product, you know, like you buy the product and then you get this five day challenge and then you earn some bonus or something, you know, when you finish or, I don't know, like, or, or, you know, that could be part of the purchase process. You know, you buy the shoes, it comes with the challenge. And if you complete the challenge, you get this extra gift too. So I think there are ways it, it can work. But like I said, I think what's going to be key for the, that model is that um, you really have to be a good teacher because um, people's attention spans are pretty close to zero right now. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> if you just put a talking head on a video and it, it's not entertaining and it's not yeah, informational. You're gonna a lot lose of that it. stuff's so boring. I mean, people kind of call it in, you know, in some cases <clears throat> or it's rehashed yeah, and, content. Yeah. It's, uh, that's the thing. Like if it, you know, if it's canned video from a talk you did <laughs> at some corporate group a year prior, like people, they just turn it off. They can sniff that out instantly. Yeah. Yeah. So how, what, so the, you know, 1600 people or 1800 people signed up, the 150 people submitted, um, what was the engagement along the way? I mean, how, how many people were actively engaged with what you were doing? Yeah, it was, it blew my mind. It was way more than I thought, which is why it was a whole lot more work than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was just going to post a video and send the email out every day. And I was spending hours interacting with people, um, wow. which is the point. Like, I yeah, mean, that, yeah. you know, that's, that's the point. So I had, um, I'm, not a, I'm not a really hardcore numbers guy, but I do like to track some things. So out of the 1,800 or so people who uh, were in the challenge, I had about seven or 800 join the Facebook group, which was completely optional. Wow. Okay. Because uh, I know that like a lot of people don't like Facebook. Uh, right. So out of those seven or 800 people in the Facebook group, at the end of the five days, I looked at the analytics page for, for the group and there were 6.2 thousand engagements in that, in that group in, the, in five days. So there were people wow. constantly posting, liking, wow. commenting. Um, I had, I had a, a little program on my website called Drift, which is one of those chat bubbles, like the help bubbles you see on, on websites. And I had it synced up to my phone so that if, if someone was on the page and had a quick question, they could hit the bubble and I would get a notification on, on my phone. I had over 150 conversations through Drift during the challenge. <laughs> So people who were like, had a quick question and, and I completely underestimated how convenient that was because yeah, yeah. you can put a contact form or yeah. you can put an email address. It's awful. People don't do that. No. And, it, and you, it just takes forever. Yeah. Yeah. But the little help bubble, people just didn't hesitate. And so huh. it was a really high engagement, um, you know, between me and the, and the attendees and then uh, amongst them as well. Wow. Just, this is so cool because- you know, like, you know, a lot of people want to do podcasts. Podcasts are a lot of work, as you know, because you do yes. like 6 million of them. <laughs> <laughs> every, every, every week I get the email of like, oh, these are all the ones you missed. I'm like, oh, so many. There's like four, <laughs> uh, four podcasts with all these episodes in between. Um, but the whole like teaching cells, which is what Brian Clark used to talk about for a long time and still does and how that kind of engagement with an audience, which, you know, now, now he's into the whole curation model, like, you know, curating data. Cause there's a lot of data. I mean, sure. you can't even imagine. I mean, you probably know it's just, you're inundated and there's so much data and 
The other problem is since there's so much data, there's so much noise, but more importantly, the, the static is starting to raise. So the floor, the static floor with all the noise just starts to increment up. So now you have to be more, tr- you know, I wouldn't say tricky. You have to be more, <laughs> like, you got to be better at writing headlines. You got to be better at doing stuff because the noise floor is just rising too. Yep. Um, which is pretty crazy. And, and it just seems that if like, this is a good way to kind of engage with like, you know, the, the true fans or the, uh, an, an audience where you can kind of build, build rapport. I mean, it's probably, huh, this is so cool because, because so a lot of people, like if you're in the service business, right, they'll do like a free consultation. You know, I mean, I'm sure you've taken advantage of that, or you've probably even done that. Like a lot yeah. of times, a lot yeah, of yeah, I lot still of, do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wonder if this approach is like more effective than that approach. I mean, it's a kind of a. I know it's an intense, like five day kind of process, but I am so curious to see how much like follow on you'll get. Like people will be like, you know what, really like Jay, I'm in. Or yeah. if it will be a little bit less or more. Well, I had, yeah. And I don't know. This was the very first one I've done. So mm-hmm. I, it's, I have nothing to compare it to. I, I'm, uh, as we record this, it's midsummer. I'm going to do one in the fall. Uh, it, it's going to be a different one, but it's going to follow the same format. And uh, even, like, even outside of the challenge, I, I had, I think, th- I got three clients from the challenge. And oh. and I wasn't I wasn't wow. selling them client work. In fact, I, I'm I'm trying to move away from one-on-one client work because there's only so many minutes in the day. Um, mm-hmm. And yet, I had several, two two maybe three people who were in the challenge who want to hire me now. Um, so I, I think too, there's, you know, I, I, the the one-on-one consultations. I still offer those for people who are interested and ask for it. But it's really intimidating for some people, and and they would rather not do the one on one. Whereas oh, if they do a challenge, they can kind of passively get to know, get to know you in a way that feels safe to them, and then they can reach out when they're ready. Huh? I didn't think of that. I I know, I know, like podcasting has that sort of feel. Yes. Um, I don't know if you found that as well, where um, you get a lot of inbound from your podcast, like oh yeah. Jay sounds like a good guy, or I've listened to 10 of your podcasts. Okay. I think I understand how you're going to behave. It, it, oh, I, I get that all the time. Oh, I get cool. Okay. I, in fact, whenever, whenever I host an author event, I, it happens every single time someone will come up to me like, Hey, how's it going, man? You're in my ear every week. I feel like I know you. And like the ice is broken. Like they, you know, they, I don't know who they are, but, like, but they know a lot about me. And uh, so I think podcasting is definitely um, even more so than video, right? Because um, with video, you kind of have to make the dedicated time to sit down and pay attention. Whereas with audio, you don't. So people are walking the dog, they're doing laundry, they're going for a run, whatever, and you're in their ear and, and they can listen to a lot of you. The, the flip side to that is it's a long tail. <laughs> like you, you can't do 10 episodes and expect that to happen. Oh, no, it, no, no. It, it no. takes dozens, sometimes years yeah. before you see the needle move. And, and you know, that's why the classic pod fade is around seven episodes, because if you don't know any better and you put up seven and you look at your downloads and you're like, what? Yeah. Only my mom has downloaded. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's how that, unless you're a bit you know, Joe Rogan, like, yeah, yeah that's how it works. You but know? even Joe Rogan took a decade or yeah. some crazy number, you know, yeah. he did it as a bunch of his buddies. Like his original ones were pretty like, you know, 
sketch. Not sketch. Well, not wrong word. But I mean, they were like just him and his buddies talking about backstage at a comedy club. So, right. yeah, wow, yeah, because I mean, the, the you know the same thing happened to the uh, the folks over at the uh, Story Grid Editor Roundtable. You know, the, yeah. the podcast I used to do with, and um, they had the same experience. But it took like a, maybe a year or more of just constantly doing the episodes and the seasons and people got to know you. And it's, it is, you're, you're so right. Because I think when it comes to audio, you're one, you're in someone's ear, but you're in it, you're like dedicated, like they're they're Mm -hmm. dedicated to listening to you because they can't really do anything else. I mean, with video, you know, like you watch a movie, you could, you know, do other things. It's not as interactive, but like when you're listening to someone or listening to a podcast, you're sort of immersed in it. More, more so than video, I think. Yeah, but, but well, it's intimate. I mean, yeah, intimate. Nine, That's the word. Yeah, nine times out of ten, like you're right here. Like yeah, you are yeah. right in their head. Yeah, literally yeah, yeah. in their head. You know, <laughs> uh, and so I, I think like that. You can't underestimate that. And as a as an avid podcast listener, I feel the same way. I mean, I. I I don't know if I'll ever meet James Altucher, but I feel like I know everything about the guy. Like, I, I probably won't meet Tim Ferriss. I feel like I know everything about him because their voices are in my head all the time. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've met Sean Coyne and, and Tim Grawl, and yeah, they're like their voice. <laughs> <laughs> so it's true. It's true. Yeah, yep. interesting. Wow. So, so how do you keep all this stuff juggling? I mean, you've got so much going on. What, what's sort of your daily life like? You know, I, I the the only thing that allows me to do this is time blocking, and time blocking. I I tell this to people and they don't believe me, or they or, or they insist on a to do list, and I'm like, to do lists don't work. <laughs> um, they don't work because they grow. You add to them. Um, you end up being list oriented as opposed to process oriented. Um, so I I have I don't use any fancy apps productivity gadgets uh, I use Google Calendar period now I have multiple Google calendars I have some I share with my family my kids and I color code them so when I pull up a Google Calendar whether it's on my phone or on my desktop I see all all my events but I block time on the calendar and and that's the only way I can get it done. Um, I used to jump from task to task. I used to have a list. And I and uh, that was so problematic because a lot of times I would skip and knock out what I thought were the easiest ones or the quickest ones, which meant I was never paying attention to the big ideas or or the you know the 20% of those ideas that are going to move 80% of my income, you know? Um, so what I do with blocking now is I try and block similar activities. I have basically a morning block and an afternoon block. And the morning block is sort of the the deep thinking time. The afternoon block is the more managerial, uh, administrative time. But I even will try and group things on the same day. So, for example, um, I'm making an, uh, an exception for you, man, because I love you. But I, tip- <laughs> I typically you. don't do any podcasts or interviews or anything except on Mondays. So on Monday, I do all my interviewing, all my recording it's like all podcast day. I don't worry about any writing. I don't do any customer service, no email stuff, right? Just Mondays is just podcasting. Then like Tuesdays and Wednesdays are my deep work time. So Tuesday and Wednesday morning, I shut everything off. I'm first drafting, I'm revising, I'm, I'm working on a business plan. Um, and then Thursday and Friday, I kind of shift in, into more um, 
administrative stuff like you know my email list or uh, people I have to reach out to, um, networking, that kind of stuff. But for me, it's so important to say, okay, from you know 9 a.m. to noon, the only thing I'm going to do is I'm going to first draft. And I don't worry about words. All I worry about is, is my butt in the chair doing what I said I was going to do? If I'm sitting there and I'm, and I'm focused and I get the page open and I get 500 words in three hours, awesome. If I get 1,500 words, awesome. As long as I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I don't put that extra pressure on myself. Now, if I'm sitting there and I'm supposed to be first drafting and I'm scrolling through Twitter, then like, yeah, I need to give myself a slap on the hand and get back to it. But um, I think if, you're, if you block time, you're process-oriented, you stay disciplined, um, it's amazing how much you can accomplish. Wow. Huh. I like that. I like that approach. I've never... Uh, what's the... Someone was telling me about another method where they do it in... Like they work 50 minutes and they'd go on a 10 minute break. Yeah. It sounds like a Pomodoro. Yeah. Uh, that's the one. There's a little yeah. timer thing. Yes. Yeah. That never worked for me. And, I, and oh, I'll tell you okay. why. Um, I, I don't know if it's 50, 10 or 20. I, I forget what the ratio is. There's some ratio of work to, to, to rest with Pomodoro cycles. The problem for me is that I get, when I get into the quote unquote zone, I want to stay there. Like, I don't want to. I don't want to be rolling and then have the Pomodoro timer come off and force myself to take a break. Like, sometimes I can be focused for two hours straight yeah. if it, if it's something I'm really into, and I don't want to artificially cut that off because the timer said so. So I know it works great for some people, but I, I've I've never found a lot of success with it because I've gone the other way. If I extend the time, then sometimes I feel like I've accomplished what I need to, and I look at the timer and there's still like 20 more minutes. I'm like. <laughs> All right, now what do I do? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. It's like, oh, I can go back to Twitter. No, no, can't yeah, do that. Can't do that. Can't do right. That. So it's like it, too short. I feel like I'm cutting off the, the creative flow, and too long. I feel like I'm 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 filling time. So uh, I, I don't I don't use it. I just say, you know, this is the time I'm going to be working on this, and as long as that's what I'm I'm working on, it's all good. And that allows you to write books, start new businesses, do three. You have three podcasts now. Is it three? I have. Technically, I have four. <laughs> One is monthly, but I have three weekly podcasts. Three yeah. weekly podcasts. So, wow. And e each one of those is what, like an hour each? or Yeah, roughly. They're all different formats. So, uh, like the career author I do with Zach is more like industry specific. And, mm -hmm. and we do topics related to career authors. Rachel and I do the Writers Well together. And that one is more of like two, two friends talking, asking each other questions. And then the writer's well, which I do with JD Barker, is a strictly interview format. That's that one is the most time intensive because I have to schedule and record the interviews. Um, I have to edit all that, and then I go to I go to JD and we record the wraps on the on the front and back side of the interview. Um, so th so that one is definitely the most time intensive of the three. And have you found that what what sort of the ratio of like finished podcast to how much time it takes you? Have you had like done any study yeah. on that? Yeah, I have. Um, so the writer's well, it's only about, if it's a 30 minute episode, it's maybe 45 minutes to an hour tops. Oh, okay. um, it, it doesn't take me long. And I, and I recently, um, a year or so ago, 
I hired both of my kids as uh, virtual assistants. So, <laughs> so that's they, great. Yeah, they do the audio post uh, processing. They do. They write the show notes. They post everything. They schedule it. Um, so, uh, so that's why there's not much for me on the writer as well. Now, the career author that probably takes two times as long because Zach and I will alternate leads on the, on the episodes, and we have to prepare. So we'll, we'll do. We'll put together research. We'll come up with a topic and. That, so that's, you know, that's probably an hour to an hour and a half in addition to the, say, hour episode. The writer as well, like that, that's a tough one because like there's time spent um, setting up the and scheduling the interview, which is always a challenge. Um, the interview itself, which is usually around 30 minutes. Um, and then I get together with, with JD. That's another 30 minutes because we're looking at, say, 15 on the front and 15 on the back. It's probably another hour of audio post-production. So I have, to, I have to move all that together. I've got like 10 or 12 different audio tracks that I have to mix down. So I would say the Writer's Inc. is probably more like um, four to five hours per episode. Wow. So two to one, three to one, and four to five to one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, podcasting is a lot of work. It is. Uh, well, I, I mean, I didn't. I no. sort of <laughs> knew that getting into it. Because I had a, a, you know, with with what we did at the editor roundtable, but I didn't have to do any of the editing or any of that stuff. I mean, you know, Anne did all that. She just just does an awesome job at editing, and all. I mean, just yeah. she's just amazing. I mean, and everyone, you know, we had to write show notes and all that sort of stuff. But I, right. I said to show up and talk. But I, you know, <laughs> we we had to do it with a movie or a book. Or now they do books now, but a movie. So it took just for me doing that. It was a four to one. And I know for Anne, it must have been a lot longer than that because the yeah. stuff just always sounded awesome. And then, you know, Leslie's updated it. And then, you know, Kim would sometimes do stuff as well as Valerie. So it was just well, like, there's yeah. a lot of work. And it's why, like, I, authors, not so much entrepreneurs, but authors have such a hard time with the sell. And I'm like, screw that. I show up every week. And, and for some of these podcasts have been going for years. I mean, I've been podcasting since 2014, wow. weekly, almost every week. Wow. I'm well over 600 episodes I've recorded so far wow. since, since 2014. Man. And I, I bring my all. I show up, I do my homework, I'm helpful, I give back. So I don't ever hesitate when, when I've got something to sell. I'm on the podcast. I'm like, guess what, guys? <laughs> I got a new book out. It'd be really cool if you bought it. Yeah. Because, you know, I feel like I give so much value. I don't have any problem asking for a sale. Yeah. And, and what, well, you know, and then actually wanted to talk briefly about that because um, that's the problem with a lot of entrepreneurs and authorpreneurs, especially those that are sort of just getting into it. They don't like the messy part of the business side. I mean, Joanna and I talked about this a little bit as well. Because, you know, half the battle is writing the book. The other half, the battle is selling the thing. And that's like a hard thing for a lot of people to do. And I even have, I mean, I have a hard time with it. I don't, I'm just, I, 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 my least favorite part of any entrepreneur endeavor is the selling and the marketing and the PR. Although it's ironic that that's what I do now is sort of what I do <laughs> for a living. So uh, I do it for other clients. Um, but yeah, I mean, so how, how did you, did, did you, was that a, how did you, switch that mindset. I mean, what did it take in order to be like, you know what, I'm creating art, I'm adding value. You know what, it's okay to ask for someone to support me. I think it just took constant reinforcement that that was okay. And and that came through listening to podcasts, reading books by people in the space. I think I love Ryan Holiday stuff. I think he's one of the best authors out there, most authentic, um, individualistic, and it just, 
constantly reinforcing that. And um, it takes time. I mean, I didn't, I didn't feel that way at first. You know, I, I was bashful. I didn't want to ask for a sale. I felt like I was, you know, imposing on people or that they were going to get angry. And like now, now when people, uh, when I get the unsubscribe message from my email list and it says too salesy, I'm like, goodbye. Don't care. Like that's part of the deal. You know, like am, am I supposed to create a business and provide a service without compensation? Like, would you just go to your office and work for your boss and not ask for anything? Of course not. You know? So I think it's just, it's just, you know, it's an ignorance. It's not understanding how businesses work, which is exactly what we're talking about because my, my most of my clients are authors and there are a lot of authors who don't, aren't willing to embrace it, don't want to embrace it or don't have to. Like there are authors who write as a hobby and that is totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But you can't begrudge those of us who need to make a living on it. You know, like I'm not independently wealthy. I don't have a trust fund. I, I don't have family money. <laughs> you know, I've got bills to pay and uh, I'm not scamming people and I'm not going to hard sell, but um, this is a business. And, uh, and if, you know, if you don't want to do business with me, that's totally fine. But it's a business. And at some point, I'm going to ask you to buy something. Yeah. Well, Jay, I think that's a great place to end it. Um, I hope everyone will buy all your books and your stuff, especially if you're an author or if you're just looking for some great fiction to read. I know you're pretty prolific at that. And, and I, again, I really appreciate your time and just keep on doing the great stuff. I'm Again, I'm always, anytime I get an email from you, I'm always impressed because not only is it very well written, but it's actually like informative. And a lot of people, you know, should definitely sign up for your email list so they can learn how to how to write a really awesome email so thanks again thanks man i appreciate it It was fun coming on talking to you thanks for listening to the entrepreneur ethos podcast i hope you enjoyed this episode as much as i did creating it my hope is that you learn something that can make you a little bit better if you enjoyed the podcast please do share it with friends and review it on apple Podcasts or spotify you can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late. And that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry. And our Keep Stock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com/slash keepstock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done.